Welcome to the All Persons Fictitious Podcast. It's a podcast about short, independent, and self-published fiction. The kind of fiction you're unlikely to encounter somewhere else. So, um, this is the second episode of the podcast. It's the, uh, the long-delayed second episode of the podcast. I recorded the first episode back in late November and liked how it turned out and really had a plan to kind of put a new one out every two weeks or every month or so, and then life got in the way. Uh, grading, I'm a teacher. Being back in my home country after 12 years abroad, all the lifestyle changes, I guess. I don't know. Laziness, couch time, Netflix, whatever. The point is, I'm uh, just getting around to that second episode. So um, just a little bit about the podcast. I mentioned again that... Um, it's about short fiction, independent self-published fiction. I'm really at this point just for each episode I'm going to read a previous story that I have written and then talk a little bit about my thinking. But eventually I would like to get other writers to come on and read their stuff. So if you're listening to this and you're a short story writer, especially if you're just self-publishing or if you've just put things out in a few small journals, get in touch. I'd love to have you read your story on the show and not have to, um, you know, just make this my my show about my fiction. So if you're interested, you can reach me at a man called Jay on Twitter or by email at jasonrsimon at gmail.com. Today's episode is, uh, well, in today's episode, I'm going to read a short story called Corrigendum. It's a story that I wrote while I was living in Beijing. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about the influence when I'm done, but I wrote this back in 2019, I think. I was living in Beijing at the time, and uh, I mentioned that because a lot of my stories are influenced by where I was living when I, when I wrote them or when I started writing them, and, and Corrigendum is no different. So, here is the story, Corrigendum. It was when the river disappeared that we knew once and for all we'd lost. I remember how we all just stood there, unbelieving with our bottles of chilled Prosecco and our fluted glass stemware, our foldable camping chairs and plastic coolers of ice and cans of beer, gaping at a muddy trench freshly scraped into the earth that had once been flowing water and our refuge from everyday urban malaise. Even the river bank on which we'd sat on so many Saturday afternoons, getting pleasantly drunk in the open air and managing to find some temporary affection for this city we'd come to inhabit only by necessity, was now mostly obliterated, transformed into a craggy, irregular precipice overlooking the morass. We sighed and cursed in exasperation and one of us chucked a full can of lager into the former river and watched as it was quickly consumed by mud. We'd only begun coming to this spot a few months before, after most of the nearby pubs and restaurants in the city had disappeared, at least all the ones worth frequenting. Before that, it had only been the outdoor seating that was there one day and gone the next, but then later it was the actual establishments themselves erased from existence. Sizable swaths of alfresco seating we'd enjoyed on so many occasions were abruptly replaced by parking lots and barren concrete slabs. We'd ranted and raved each time, 
but even though the local language was close enough to our own for us to effectively convey our indignation, our protests went unacknowledged. The cafe tables and chairs were gone, followed by the pubs themselves, and then finally the idyllic riverfront, and with it, our will to continue to find the good in this place. The oddest part was that none of the locals seemed to acknowledge the absence, as though the memory associated with each place had also been wiped clean. Each time a patio or terrace or courtyard or rooftop where we'd previously sat and had drinks went vacant, we'd ask the proprietors what had happened. They'd only offered to seat us at any of the booths or tables inside the dining room. Why can't we sit outdoors? Where did the outdoor seating go? We'd asked over and over, and had been told that we would be much more comfortable sitting indoors. Which, of course, wasn't true. Drinking outdoors is a uniquely pleasurable experience, impossible to capture in even the nicest indoor establishments. We had compromised our principles and continued to go out for drinks in the evenings after work or on early weekend afternoons when the weather was nice enough to justify it. We had seated ourselves begrudgingly at tables and booths in indoor dining rooms, but had then snuck outside with our pints or cocktails to drink them surreptitiously among groups of huddled smokers. It was a temporary solution, of course, but it was still nice to be intoxicated in the open air. But then, one by one, the places themselves had vanished, as though they'd never existed, leaving only plywood or cinderblock walls in place of what had previously been familiar and welcoming front entrances. After that, we'd taken to the riverbank, and, with summer approaching, it felt good to be out having a few drinks in the fresh air and the shadow of that imposing megalopolis. Sometimes we'd dive from the highway bridge and swim around giggling and half-naked in the swirling current underneath, or bring our fishing poles and cast our lines into the water, and then bask in the warm sun as the alcohol took effect and we forgot for a few fleeting moments where we were. And then, within a few months, the river too was gone, the city's landscape irrevocably altered. It was a finishing blow, an unequivocal demonstration of authority. Most of us admitted defeat then. We capitulated. We went to work and came home every day around 5.30. But instead of going out in the evenings, we had people over for taciturn drinks in our own living rooms, or we got drunk safely at our friends' houses. We went to dinner sometimes and ordered no more than two glasses of the house red and minded our manners and kept the volume down. We made sure not to enjoy ourselves too much. On the weekends, we slept in a little and then did laundry or maybe went to the gym for an hour or so or stayed in for lunch or dinner before nodding off in bed while reading at 9.30. A few of us resisted and performed passive acts of rebellion such as drinking on curbsides or on the front stoops of apartment buildings, or having a few road beers in local taxi cabs. We passed them often on our way home from work or an early dinner and reflected nostalgically on how we'd lived only a few months earlier. Although we knew by then that these dissidents were destined to fail, we still felt some affection for the noble futility of their stance. Soon enough, though, the people themselves disappeared without warning and with no clear explanation. Acquaintances we'd known for years and considered part of our social circle were just gone, leaving not a flat expanse or a walled edifice, but a complete void. 
Sometimes it seems as though the relationship between citizens and an autocratic authority is best represented through the arms race of people who want to get drunk outside and powerful entities that pointedly do not want this to happen. There was a time when we were young and carefree and considered ourselves excluded from the social norms of our adopted countries that we enthusiastically engaged in this struggle. But that time is now past. Now we are bent double by the system and surrendered to the will of absolute control. We drink and laugh still. We carouse, but we do it in the relative safety of our own homes. Okay, so Corrigendum was more of a flash fiction, a piece of flash fiction than a full-fledged short story. I think it's right around a thousand words, but I did want to talk a little bit about it and what I was trying to explore and and uh, just what my thinking was. First, the title, Corrigendum. Uh, that word refers to uh, errors in printed words that need to be con uh, corrected. So like a, uh, a book is published and this is a list of, of errors that have made it past the editing um, stage. I, uh, I thought of that title because I, I wanted to get at the idea that the authority in this city is uh is going through the process of just sort of periodically or regularly editing reality so if a uh if a city is a published thing or uh like an environment or a landscape is a published thing the um there are still errors that that the publisher would want to have corrected and and so i wanted the idea of a, of a town or a city that's constantly being changed and and corrected and the people in it are, uh, like, they're aware of that. They're watching it happen, and they're bewildered by it. I was living in Beijing when I wrote this, and it is and isn't directly inspired by Beijing. I mean, it kind of is, but, but I didn't want the story to be about Beijing or about China, because, um, well, I mean, because I was living there and was reluctant to speak out against the place but but also I I didn't want it to be tied to a uh, to a specific place at all so I mentioned that it was somewhere else it was a foreign country I mentioned that the language was was close to the language of the narrator of the collective second person narrator um, and so that's clearly not Beijing that's not Mandarin it's not a, I guess it's not meant to be, <laughs> to be a real place, but I did want to talk about the Beijing uh, influence or inspiration. When I was living in Beijing, I moved there in August of 2016 and lived there until February of 2020. It was supposed to be June 20 of 2020, but then, uh, you know, the pandemic happened. But during that time there, it was the case that 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 city was constantly changing and evolving and and it was also the case that at least a foreigner or as a foreigner it felt like uh it felt like every time you found a place that you loved that you wanted to go to like a bar or a little club in the hutong neighborhoods or or just a you know a local pub with some cool seating outside where you could sit and have some beers and people watch that those would just disappear one day like whole cool hutong alley places were suddenly empty and the shops were gone or you would go to your favorite pub and you would get ready to you know sit outside on a nice day and all the seating was gone and i understand that you know 
part of what a central authority is doing is trying to, you know, cut down on potential for crime or potential for anything the cops would need to come over for. But it did feel like kind of, as an expat there, it felt like a little bit of an arms race between, like, it's a Saturday in the spring and it's nice and I really want to drink beer outside in the afternoon and everywhere I go there's some kind of, like, monkey wrench thrown in for whatever reason. I don't know. It's a uh, <laughs> it's a very privileged kind of problem, but but it is nice to to day drink on a nice day outside, and I'm unapologetic about that. I wanted the um I wanted the the tone of the story to be a little humorous, and I wanted to get at that kind of the privileged complaint of I can't even have a beer outside when um when obviously the society being depicted in this story is clearly very authoritarian to the point where eventually people are disappearing but i wanted the narrator of that story again that collective we first person plural narrator i wanted that person that narrator to be really self-absorbed and really clueless and not really think about the implications of of what was actually happening in the city instead just like why can't I have, you know, a pint of really expensive IPA on a, uh, you know, a high-top bistro table out on a sidewalk somewhere? That's what I want. And, you know, totalitarianism won't let, won't let that happen. I do think it's interesting that any, you know, any place you live, I don't know, maybe not like Scandinavia or whatever, but, but any, any place that you live can easily be turned into a dystopian sort of setting. And uh, like somewhere like China, like Beijing, where I lived for five years, and um, like I really liked it. I had a really good time there. But because of the authoritarian nature of the government, it's easier to make that move. But even, you know, in the States, I could, I could take something that's happening here and with a few tweaks, I could turn it into this kind of story. So I always think when I, uh, when I start writing a story, I ground it in reality and then start to strip away the specificity so that the real idea is left over, but none of the specifics are left over. And so, you know, I, I call this podcast All Persons Fictitious, which is that... Um, that warning or disclaimer that appears in fiction, the all, you know, persons living or dead resemblance to all persons living or dead is a, I don't know, an accident or whatever. <laughs> but the truth is, I do start kind of grounded in reality and then, uh, and then, you know, strip that away. At least, you know, most of the time, that's what I do. I wanted there not to be a central narrator in this story. I did want it to be a collective we narrator. Sometimes I don't love that when I read it. Like, I think I think the Virgin Suicides book was like that. And, uh, I mean, I, I see why, but I didn't love that book as much as I expected to. And then Jonathan Ferris's book, We and Then We Came to the End, also had that we as a narrator. I, I, I like the idea of it. It's sort of, um, like the the town gossip or like a chorus or here's what people are saying i wanted it to kind of work that way but i don't know it's a weird story i don't know if i 
I don't know if I consider it one of my most successful stories, but I think it's a fun story. I like the tone of it. I like the uh, I like the contrast of this sort of unimportant complaint that the narrator has with the gradual revelation that there's actually way more to complain about and fear in this place. So, uh, yeah, in the, in the words of of one of my students finishing a, a speech. So, yeah. Okay, so so again, this is uh this is the second episode of the podcast. I hope you liked it. You know, review me on whatever the this it's available at at Apple and Spotify and Amazon and I haven't taken any principled stances against any of those platforms yet. So, it's uh the podcast is available anywhere where you can get it. And again, get in touch. Let me know what you think. My email is jasonrsimon at gmail.com. My Twitter is at a man called Jay. And uh, if you want to read one of your own stories, get in touch with me. All right. Have a good day, everybody.